everyone. My name is Mary Smith. I am your host of An Educator's Legacy and owner of Educational Leadership Consultants. Today, y'all, I am super, super excited because I have uh, Todd Nesloni as my guest today. Now, if you don't know Todd, boy, you're missing out because Todd is a man on a mission. He is passionate about education and innovation. He was a classroom teacher for seven years before taking the leap straight from classroom teacher to campus principal in Navasota, Texas. Now, y'all, that just doesn't happen. You know that as well as I do. Todd took over a struggling campus, brought in a brand new staff, and used his creative ideas to transform a campus. But the one thing that is clear about Todd when you hear him speak or talk is his love for doing what's best for kids, despite limitations. He worked in an environment where almost 90% of his students were on a free and reduced lunch. His campus and district are 85% minority, and they faced a lot of challenges, but that's exactly what Todd thrives on. He loves a challenge. He's an award-winning author for his work in co-authoring Kids Deserve It and Sparks in the Dark. He's also written the book Stories from Web and published a children's book called Spruce and Lucy. His latest book is called When Kids Lead with co-author Adam DeVico, and it is available on Anne's Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and it was just released in June of this year. He was recognized by John Maxwell as a top 10 finalist for the 2018 Transformational Leadership Award by the White House as a connected educator, champion of change. The National School Board Association is one of the 20 to watch in education. The Center for Digital Education is one of their top 40 innovators in education. And BAMI's is the National Elementary Principal of the Year and the National Elementary Teacher of the Year and the Texas Computer Education Association as their Texas Elementary Teacher of the Year. Okay, so he's got more awards than I've got hands. So, and fingers. Wow, that was crazy. He is a classroom champions teacher, worked with Olympic and Paralympic athletes in his classroom, and served as a member of the Scholastic Principals Advisory Board. Now he travels and speaks about his innovative practices and how we have to stop making excuses on why we can't do things for our students. He speaks about his use of technology in the classroom with and with his school and gives all educators ideas on how to continually utilize the tools at their disposal to create the best possible learning environment for, for children. And he's a two times TEDx speaker. Currently, he's the Director of Culture and Strategic Leadership for the Texas Elementary Principal and Supervisors Association. And right before that, he was leading a campus as the lead learner slash principal at a pre-K through five school in Texas. Currently, Todd hosts the podcast series, Tell Your Story. In the past, he has hosted an iTunes top-rated podcast series called Kids Deserve It with Adam Welcome and Sparks in the Dark with Travis Crowder as they interviewed inspiring educators and allowed them to share their stories. Todd actively blogs and shares his stories through many different social media avenues, and he is especially active on Twitter. And he has a wife named Lizette, and they live in a small community in Brenham, Texas. So welcome, Todd. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. I'm excited to be here. Holy cow, what a list of awards. Okay, but I got to tell you, even with all those awards, the one thing that stuck out at me was that you went from teacher to principal in the same building. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was it was a pretty crazy transformation for sure. And it wasn't in the same building, but it was just a crazy thing to go from teaching fifth grade one month to leading a brand new campus um, the next month. <laughs> and so it was it was wild for sure. How did that happen, though? I mean, what was the process that you did to make that happen? Well, you know, I got my master's when I was in my second year teaching only because there was this new partnership with the district and a, and a university and my whole team worked and get our master's. And I only got my master's because I wanted to be the first person in my family with one, not because I actually wanted to use it. Um, I wow. swore I would never be a school principal. And of course, you know, when when you tell God, no, he finds a way to say, watch me make it work. And right. So um, I was very happy teaching, very successful, loved what I was doing. Um, and then one day I got a Twitter direct message saying, hey, we love your work. Would you be interested in coming and working in our district? And I said, no, not interested. And they yeah. reached out again and said, well, you know, we know you've got your principal certification. We're looking for a principal. Would that be up your alley? And I said, again, no, like I don't, I'm, I'm happy with where I am and what I'm doing. And then they reached out one more time and said, well, what if you got to hire your entire staff? And so I said, uh, okay, we can talk then. <laughs> and yeah. So, so we, we sat and checked. You know, it's kind of a dream job to start a school from scratch. And so um, I met with them, loved their ideas, and took the position, started a brand new campus over again from scratch, and spent the next five years there trying to change the game. And you did change the game, didn't you? Uh, we, we, made, we made a lot of inroads and did a, were, were able to do a lot of really cool, innovative, boundary-pushing things. It wasn't without its trials, of course, and not without its failures as well as anything that you try to do. But we really did a lot of great work, and I'm super proud of my team and what we accomplished. Is that where you came up with the Kids Deserve It? Yes. that I was in my first-year principalship when that came up. And that wasn't just my idea. You know, I was at a principal conference out in Long Beach, California, met a guy named Adam Welcome, and we were just chatting and, and decided to write a blog post together. And through our conversation, we were going back and forth about, you know, why do teachers not do what's best for kids? Why? And we said, well, you know, they just make constant excuses. And so, you know, we, then the conversation led to, well, our kids deserve the best. And we both sat there and went, Wow. When you say, well, our kids deserve it, it's kind of hard to argue with, no, our kids don't deserve that. And so um, that was kind of the precipice for where everything got started with that phrase. And it just took off from there like wildfire. Yeah, and it has taken off like wildfire. Everybody knows about kids deserve it, at least mm -hmm. as far as I know, you know. Of course, I am in Texas with you. So I still <laughs> think, I mean, it's kids deserve it is a, is a movement though. Right, right. It definitely is. And you know, that was one thing that we weren't expecting. We decided to just kind of go with the phrase and start a hashtag. And it really took off online. You know, Dave Burgess, who's my publisher, he's a good friend of mine. Before he was my publisher, he kept coming to me to write a book and I was never interested. I thought I didn't have the words to say. I did, wasn't the person to be leading it. And then when the kids deserve it took off, I thought, well, maybe we have something with this and pitched him the idea. He loved it. And that just helped broaden the awareness of kids deserve it even further. And it, it really has become a movement and a community, which was, which is what makes it so special. It's not just a phrase that the, the educators I've been able to connect with and build relationships around meeting through the hashtag has just been incredible. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is though, when you're talking about kids deserve it, I think the, um, the overall thing that, is the biggest shift is the mindset that's attached to that. Right. 
You know, it's not just being able to spout off and say, oh, well, you know, they deserve this or they des-, like every child deserves a male mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's every child deserves a smile. It's a yeah, mindset. And- you're exactly right. And, you know, and, and it's an idea of, you know, one thing I always make really clear to people when they first hear about kids deserve it is it's not a kids deserve everything, even to the detriment of the adults who are serving them. And I think that's where some people get a little lost in it at first. It's like, no, when when the teachers are no longer being protected, when the teachers have overdone their workload, when the administrators are making decisions and, and you know, yes, we want to do what's best for kids but not the detriment of the adults as well. And so I always make sure to draw a fine line there that there is a line, um, but that shouldn't, but there's still so many ways. And, you know, I've got so many examples in my own history with what I've done at my schools that just show that, you know, there are ways to make it work. You know, I always say when people make excuses, all that is is a polite way of saying you don't want to do something because if you really are passionate about that change or passionate about doing it, you'll do whatever it takes to figure out a way to make it work. That's right. You're exactly right. And all excuses go out the window. Yep. And that's the hard part, though, is a part of it is that people are uncomfortable with change and people are uncomfortable with um, doing things that are going to be difficult or mm-hmm. that they perceive to be difficult. And a lot of times if you just sit down and work it out, the difficulties aren't really that difficult. You know? You're right. And, and, you know, as humans, we don't like to be uncomfortable, no That's matter right. how much we know that we learn most when we are uncomfortable. And that really is the only way true learning happens. That doesn't mean we like it. Just like we don't nobody loves change, but we know that oftentimes it's necessary for us to get where we need to be. That's exactly right. And that's where our growth comes from. Is that change? Yes, exactly. That makes a huge difference. And I will tell you this, though, because I was as I was listening to your He's got a TED Talk, guys, on Kids Deserve It. Um, so go to either his website, Ted, tednesloney.com. It's T-E-D. No, no, I'm telling you wrong. T-O-D-D <laughs> dot N-E-S-L-O-N-E-Y dot com. And then look on there under the videos and you can see his TED Talk. He's got it there for you. Or go to YouTube and type in Todd Nesloney and it'll come up. And so when, but when I was watching his TED talk, the thing that I noticed is that he was talking about actually doing a community outreach where they had tried to get parents into the school and only two people showed up. And so then they came up with plan B and instead of trying to get teachers or the parents into the school, they went to the parents. And as I was sitting there listening to that, I thought, because honestly, I've been out of the classroom now for 15 years, um, but when I was a classroom teacher, I thought, you know, we did in, in my campus, we had high, pro- high poverty levels as well. And we did go out to their houses, but it was not a community outreach. It was a student outreach. And there's a big difference in the workload there. And what Todd did with his teachers where they went out and actually cooked. What did you do, Todd? Y'all cooked for 600 or something? You know, th- there's there's several different things here that we did that, that I heard you mention that were just really powerful for us. We knew that we wanted to be different and we knew that parents were not coming on campus for a variety of reasons. And when we truly took the time to listen and understand, we realized that some parents were not coming on campus because they had a terrible experience in their own educational uh, experience, in their own educational time, that it was just painful for them to be at school. We knew we had some parents who weren't coming because they dropped out in junior high or high school and 
and felt intimidated by somebody with a college degree who may be there or or they worked multiple jobs and no matter how much they wanted to be at the school they just couldn't make the events and so on and so on and so on i mean there's countless reasons and so rather than allow those to be excuses we thought well let's do it differently if they can't come to us or if the school building itself is a sense of pain, a source of pain, let's go to them. And so we did that in several ways. One of the ways is we went out and did these uh, hot dog cookouts in the community. And that was where we found our local apartment complexes where our children resided. And rather than go out with some ulterior motive, so we didn't bring pamphlets to pass out. We didn't tell them to do their homework or to read at home. We just showed up and served. Because I'm a believer that true leadership comes from a servant heart and people aren't going to care about what you know until they know how much you care. And so I knew that we had to get out there and just tear down these, these, these excuses, tear down these preconceptions of what an educator was or what the school was doing and just show up and say, we love you. We love your kids. They're, your kids are more important to us than a score on a test or a butt in a seat. And so we just showed up and did that every semester. We partnered with the junior high, um, just brought a big old grill out. We made sure to get a permission from the apartment manager too. Don't just show up at the apartments. We learned that. Always get permission <laughs> from the apartment manager. But we had about 300 people show up every single time. And it only cost us like 50 bucks because the local meat market, Sam's, Walmart, all believed in this mission and were donating stuff for us every time. And then the other event that we did that you mentioned and in, in, in just chatting before that is that You know, we tried to do the Watchdogs program, which is a nationally based program that seeks to get men involved in the schools as volunteers. And we did a huge kickoff event and we did we did everything by the stereotypical book. We visited every classroom to talk it up. We sent home flyers and we bought food. And, you know, I am very I do not believe in the mantra of if you provide food, they will come. I I think that is trivializing the complexities of why parents don't attend events um, because we provided food and we had 800 students at our school and we had two men who showed up to our event and it was discouraging. It was, you know, we know we did something wrong. We missed the mark. We missed the messaging. What happened? And when my assistant principal and I really reflected on the experience and why the men didn't show up, we realized that they didn't want to come to an event where they were going to be told to volunteer or asked to volunteer. And so we thought, well, let's flip this on its head. Let's do something. You know, there's so much research out there that shows the value of having a man involved in a kid's life. And so we said, our students have a variety of different types of men involved in their lives. Let's do an event that just celebrates those men. Let's again, not be the stereotypical school where there has to be some academic instructional purpose to have the event. Let's just have an event that celebrates men. And so we said, well, you know, we got to have the title be different. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like when schools do events that have the title of mom or dad or grandparent in them. And the reason I don't like that is because right away you're excluding parts of your community who may be more of a mother or father to that kid than giving birth to them, but they don't have the title. 
And I'm all about creating inclusive environments, not exclusive environments. So it's not about eliminating the event. It's about reframing the event. And so whether doing donuts with dad, we've changed donuts with dudes or whether it's, it's not, we don't do grandparents day anymore. We do grand friends day because those elementary kids whose grandparents have passed away, that's a very, um, emotionally taxing day. Um, and you know, when we did muffins with mom one time, I remember a grandmother came to me and she was just upset. She said, I hate that y'all do this event every year because every year I fight with my grandson in the car because I've raised him. His mother walked away when he was born and she said, but I'm not coming to that muffins with mom event because those other moms stare at me and ask me why I'm there and I'm not his mother. And she said, it's just too painful. So when yeah. we we're planning this event for the men, we decided to call it dinner with a gentleman because we wanted any man in that child's life to be able to know they were invited, whether it was their grandfather, their brother, the neighbor down the street, their children's pastor. It didn't matter who it was. We wanted them to know that they were there. And, you know, with a goal of 150, which was a huge increase from two for our <laughs> first event, um, we were setting our sights high. We actually ended up having almost 600 people our first year that we did it. And for the additional four years that I was there doing it, we had between five and 700 men there every year. Um, And it was just a little dinner and we had a guest speaker. We had activities for them to do with the kids. We gave away a book to every kid that showed up. We had door prizes. It was just a fun night to gather men together. And of course, when you do an event for men, the women get upset about where's our event. So that's where the idea of tea with a lady was born. And my other assistant principal ran with that idea and she took off and made that into something truly special and beautiful. And so those were that dinner with a gentleman event is probably my top three most proud moments as an educator ever, because I have never before that day stood in a room packed with men who showed up for their children. And that was a very powerful moment for me being raised by a single parent um, and me being a male educator and a male principal, just seeing the men show up um, was just, it, it was very emotional and something that I know those kids was just a really special experience for them too. And I know it was because that makes my heart happy just hearing that. Honestly. <laughs> you know, as an educator, you know, I mean, when you know when there's not a man present, especially in a young man's life. Oh, yeah. You, you just know. You can tell. Whether it whether they tell you or not, you can tell there's a difference. Well, you know, and I want to be clear, too. It's this is not this conversation. And I I always make sure to explicitly state this. I am not saying that females are not important in a child's life as well. What I'm saying is, you know, there is research that shows the value of having a male in some capacity in the kid's life. You know, it just it's, it's exactly like some research that was released recently by a couple universities that even just talk about, you know, in elementary children that when you give them a male African-American teacher, it doesn't matter what race the child is. There's so many benefits and positivities to that of them having a black male teacher in elementary school. And so it's not an, this is not a conversation of, well, it's, are you saying that that I'm not important because I look like this or I hold this title in that child's life? It's like, no, but we're saying that having a male involved in their life is, is important as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that too. And it's not, it, 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 you're right. It's not to negate any other um, sex or, gen, or gender or race or anything else. It's just that it's, it is what it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
everybody, women, it's, since it's traditionally dominated by women, we need the men in there as well. Exactly. That's what it boils down to. But yep. what the overlying theme that I keep hearing, the, the thread that seems to weave your entire life together, Todd, is relationships. You know, and, and I would completely agree with you with that. You know, the relationships component has always been important for me, whether it was an educator in my own personal life or even as a leader. And, you know, I feel like the one thing that's been extremely important in decisions that I make is always looking at every decision from the heart of a servant. Um, because I, you know, being a man of faith myself, but also just the way I was raised, it was always you make more of an impact when you choose to serve and, and lead by serving. Um, you, you make a longer impact. You, you, you have more opportunities to really change people's lives. And, and I don't view that just in an educational realm. And I think when I look at leaders or educators or people who have impacted my life the deepest, they've done it from a place of a servant heart, whether that was, serving by listening, whether that was serving with their finances, serving, you know, even as simple as getting in line for a meal and letting other people go before you, right. you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's so many things. And when I think of my role as a school leader, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just telling my team how much they meant to me, that I was showing them and not in a way that was in your face. So it wasn't a, I served them and then sent an email out and say, did you see how I served you? I did it because of this reason. It was like, no, that, that negates the work. And so, you know, some of the stuff that I've been reflecting on and sharing recently on my social media, as I've reflected on my years, it's something as simple as, you know, when I say my team, I think leaders have to view every member on their team as equal. And so I'm not just talking about my teachers. I wanted my cafeteria staff to know how important they were to our team. So I went and took a food certification test and I went and spent many days behind the cafeteria line serving alongside the men and women who served our kids every day and never got any glory for it because I wanted them to know your job is not any better or less than my job. And just because my title on the, my paycheck has the word principal, it doesn't mean I can't get back here and put a hairnet on and put gloves on and serve food alongside you. Or it doesn't mean I can't go and wipe down tables or pick up furniture or see trash on the ground and pick it up. Like those are not always in your face servant leadership roles, but they're important for people to know that I don't view myself as above you. Right. Yes, the buck stops with me and I have to make many decisions that are reflective of the whole school community because of the title and role that I've been placed in. But that doesn't make me better than you. It just has different re responsibilities that I'm responsible for. And so when I think about the term relationship, I think the base of that has to be having that servant heart. And how can I help make you better? Because that's where you build truly long lasting relationships because we've all worked for those administrators who got us donuts in the lounge or gave us a little gift card or wrote a card in our box. And those are nice, but those emotions are fleeting if you feel like they just did it because they thought they had to. You are correct. And I will tell you this, I had a principal one time that did rank everybody according to position. And so it was really a stressful time um, in my educational career as a teacher. Um, and, and my philosophy has always been, I don't ask anyone to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Exactly. You know, if, if somebody, I've had kids puke on me because that's the way teachers are. You know, you just have kids that, especially if you're <laughs> elementary, you know, elementary kids, they come up and go, miss, 
I feel sick and then uh-huh, all over uh-huh. you, right? And so I, it's not, it's like, oh no, I can't clean that up because I'm a teacher. That's crap, you know? Yeah, and that's what I've always told my team too. It was like, don't see something on the ground and say, oh, we need to call a custodian. Well, no, if you can pick it. it up, you pick it up. Or, oh, you know, nobody showed up for car rider duty. Well, then step uh, in and help out. Like, it's all there. those kind of things that have to do. And, you know, one way that we really kind of flipped the coin on this is that one year I heard about Zappos, the company, and oh, how yeah. they eliminated traditional titles. And instead, people were given titles that they selected that were reflective of their personalities. So one year we did that on my campus as well. And even on the ID cards that every staff member had. We eliminated teacher, instructional aid, nurse, and instead it was things like the CEO of Smiles, the uh, the tech queen, like whatever they felt like was a really big strength of theirs. So when they introduced themselves, you know, I, I'm not uh, the principal, I'm the um, tech, tech mojo guy on campus or something like that. And so it was just a different way for people to introduce themselves where, where level the playing field just a little bit. I love that idea, actually, because then it... It makes everybody, I mean, every, in my opinion, because I'm a woman of faith as well, I believe that God has given each and every one of us a unique gift and talent. And right. we should be using that and working within that. And if we are, then all we can do is shine. Right. You know? Exactly. And so why not tell everybody what it is? You know, this is my, my unique gift and talent. I want to use it. I want to bless you with it. And I want to serve. Yep. It just makes perfect sense to me. All right. So let me ask you a question, though, Todd, because I usually start with this question and I didn't. Why did you choose to become an educator, though? You know, I always loved working with kids my entire childhood and and high school experience. And I knew that I wanted to do something with kids. And for a while, I thought that was going to be social work um, until I realized all that social workers have to do. And I knew that I was not able to disconnect myself emotionally from that experience. And my I knew I couldn't handle the weight of what social workers have to do. And so I thought, well, how else can I pour into kids? And I thought, well, I'll be an educator. And so I took a class in high school called Ready, Set, Teach. Um, it was the first in the state. We had the round one and round two. Um, and so they, w- I was one of the first people in the state to graduate from Ready, Set, Teach 2. Worked at an elementary school in my hometown while I went to college full time. Um, and then got a teaching job and went from there. And, and I just knew that When I thought about why I wanted to be a teacher, it was for my own personal experience. One thing that I hear people ask in interviews often is, you know, what teacher really left a mark on you? And we all talk about that teacher. Well, honestly, I never had a teacher that left a positive mark on me. I didn't have any left negative ones either necessarily, except in my high school assistant principal, but that's a whole nother story. Um, But, you know, I never really had a teacher that I can look back on and think, I'm really thankful I had that teacher. And that was because I was a kid who I knew my mom was going to whip my behind if I didn't behave. So I had A, B on a roll all the time. I never got in trouble for anything. Um, And so I kind of guess blended in the background where I never had those experiences that I can look back and remember. And I wanted to be different for my students. I wanted to make sure no matter who they were, they could say, I remember Mr. Nesloni because he made me feel like this. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, but here's the thing. This this caught my ear is as you were talking about um, not being a social worker because it was too emotionally draining and you didn't know if you could handle it. You know, the life of an educator is almost the exact same thing. I mean, our kids have stories that break your heart when you when you learn of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So how have you how have you handled that um, 
both personally and professionally? Because well, you know, difficult. that is a great question. And I, I think the difference is for me is at a school, I know that I have them in my care for seven hours a day, um, or depending if I'm departmentalized an hour and a half a day or whatever, that I know I can pour into them, I can love on them, I can remind them who they are, I can call CPS if I need to, I can go into a home visit if I need to, like, I know those tools are at my disposal. When you're, a, when you're a social worker, your hands are a little bit more tied with how much time you can spend with those kids. And you deal a lot more with court cases that make decisions that you may not agree with, but the court feels are in the best interest of the child. And you're much more aware of the types of abuse that are going on in that home, where as a teacher, you may not be fully aware of everything. But I just felt like there was more ways for me to make a daily difference in a larger amount of people by being a teacher than by social work. And, and, you know, I feel like as an educator, there are, there's so much more that I, I don't know how to put it, that I can do or that I can feel I'm, I'm making a change, whether I would feel as a social worker, I may not necessarily always feel that way personally. Yeah, that's probably true because we do get the benefit of, of loving on them consistently day in and day out. I guess that's the difference. Right. Exactly you know, is, is being able to see them day in and day out because social work, you see them once a, every two or three weeks or a month or whatever. Yep. And then if they disappear, they're hard to find. Then you may even have them less or depending on your caseload as a social worker. Right. There's just right. so many other elements that I wanted that daily interaction with the same group of kids. Right. Okay. And you wrote a book called stories from the web, which W E B B, which is the name of the campus. You were principal correct? Yes. That was, that book is honestly out of everything I'm done, I've done at uh, professionally on that side of things. That book is what I'm most proud of, of putting out into the world for others to read is because, you know, when I was right, when my publisher asked me to do a follow-up to kids deserve it, I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like I had any more stories left in me or anything else to share. And I was sitting in a meeting one day with a group of teachers at my school and they were sharing stuff. And I thought, God, they are brilliant. But nobody else knows it besides me because I'm sitting here in this room. <laughs> and so I thought, well, if I'm going to do another book, I want it to be something different than what's out there. And that's kind of what I've tried to go through with all my books is I want them to be different than what everybody else can find on the market. And so I said, well, you know, I remember one of my good friends telling me, make sure as your platform grows that you amplify the voices of others louder than you amplify your own. And I thought, Here's my opportunity. So I took the idea to my publisher. They loved it. I took the idea to my team. They said, yeah, let's do it. And so I got about 50 different staff members to share different stories. And what was started as an edu a book for educators turned into a book that was 50% for educators and 50% just life. You know, the, the chapter that I love the most in our book is called It's Okay to Grieve. And it's a chapter that talks about how grief affects each of us differently. And four different people share their stories in that chapter, whether it's suffering several miscarriages, finding out your grandmother passed away while in the middle of a teaching lesson, um, dealing with loss of a different kind of, of having a, a, a loved one pass away in an unexpected car wreck, like these different things. And, you know, when I've had people read stories from web, the comment they always come back to me is I saw myself in so many of these people and it was so nice to read stories 
from people who aren't viewed as these educational rock stars that feel out of touch or I can never be them. It was like, I felt like that was the teacher I teach next to, or that was me last year or, or different things like that. And that's what makes me so proud of that book is I got to amplify the great work of 50 different people on a campus um, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, where it was the nurse or the counselor or the secretary or the assistant superintendent, like all these people, I got to amplify their stories and put them before a national audience and show that every story matters. And people relate to other people's stories, you know? Yep. Stories make us feel that we're less alone and let us know that our pain is not just unique to us and, and, and helps us feel connected to others so much deeper. I, I agree with you. Now I wrote a book called thrive with four other women. And we call ourselves the speaker sisters because we're all, um, educational speakers, we're all <laughs> educators, and we're all authors. And so we put together the, some, some things that were painful for all of us and, and the lessons that we had learned. And we have had such good response to that book. Um, and we thought, we intended when we wrote it, that we, it was going to be for educators. And then like you, we found out that half the people that are reading it aren't educators. Yep, exactly. You know, regular people who are connecting through those stories and uh, how we overcame those challenges that we faced. You know, it, it's a huge thing. You're exactly right. Okay, so out of all these things that you've done, Todd, because you've got like some major kudos behind you, what do you feel like you're most passionate about out of all this stuff? Is it, is it still, is it reading? Is it uh, supporting teachers? Is it supporting students? Is it kids deserve it? Is it the ability for teachers to tell their stories? You know, I'm, I'm such it? a believer that as we grow, that I, one thing I tell educators often is it is okay and normal for your passions to change. People often look at me and say, oh, do you miss, like when I was a principal, they would say, do you miss the classroom? And then when I stepped into my new role as director of culture and strategic leadership, they would be like, oh, do you miss the campus? And I would say, Yes, I do, but that doesn't mean I love what I'm doing any more or less. Like my passions have shifted. I could go back and teach in the classroom today and love it just as much. Like I miss it that much, but that doesn't mean I can't go pursue other passions and that I love something less because of that. And so when I look at what I'm doing now, you know, what I'm super passionate about right now is pouring into others. What I've seen across our field of education, and whether that is kids or adults, what I've seen is there's so much pain. There's yeah, so there much, I, I feel alone, I feel overwhelmed, I feel disregarded, I feel disrespected. And that's from the children, the staff, and the administration. Like everybody's feeling that at different moments, if not every moment sometimes. And so, for me, it's that's why I use my platform to try to be a voice for those who can't speak up for themselves. I try to be a positive force, but also be an honest and share the hard stuff too. Um, I've really become a lot more outspoken about different different things in, in our career and in our field. And I really just try to pour into people. You know, that's exactly why Adam DeVico and I started our Get Your Lead On conferences is because we didn't feel like anybody was pouring into leaders in an exciting fun childlike way but still letting them walk away with tons of good stuff and so um for me that's i think what i'm most passionate about right now is helping remind people 
of their worth. Okay, so when is your Get Your Lead On conference? Well, you know, we've been doing Get Your Lead On for two years now. And obviously with Corona, we had to stop our in-person events. And so we did Get Your Virtual Lead On in June for the first time ever. It was fantastic. Out, Out blew anything that was that we've done with that before. And then we thought, you know, again, you know me, I gotta be different. I don't wanna just do what everybody else is doing. So I thought, well, how do we do this again without doing just another get your virtual lead on? And so that's where the idea of camp lead on was born, you know, cause our theme, we redo our theme every year. And our theme this year for our in-person events was supposed to be a camping theme. And so since we're not gonna get to do that for the time being, we went with the camping theme for a virtual event. And it's an entire semester full of learning. And so we've got five camper excursions. That's what we're calling them. We've got uh, camper excursion number one is mental health and then campus culture, equity and culturally responsive leadership, um, curriculum and instruction and uh cultivating leadership. Those are our five strands, our five camper excursions. And each one of them takes place during a different month this fall. And so you can sign up for the excursion that fits your needs, or you can sign up for the whole camper experience. Um, And so you'll get the videos for 30 days. So in August, we're doing mental health and we've got six, no, seven mental health experts and and leaders in the field who are going to be doing different sessions, whether it's self-care tips, restorative practices, um, oh, that's Pete Hall, huh? Pete Hall and Kristen uh, Sowers are doing yep. um, trauma-based instruction. And so so we've got all those people joining us for the mental health. And then for the next month, we've got like Amen Raw and Joe Sanfilippo. And then, you know, I, I, we have 33 people who have joined us on this um, new endeavor. And I couldn't be more excited. Every month comes with a question and answer session with me and Adam DeVico and some special guests. You get all this virtual swag when you sign up. So rather than just have a one-off experience, we wanted you to be able to have a semester full of learning where you get the videos for 30 days. You, so you get the whole month to ha- to watch those videos um, and just connect with other leaders in unique and special ways. And I'm so excited about it. And August 1 is when our mental health videos release. And so you can just go to campleadon.com to get all the info about all five excursions or signing up for the whole camp experience, whatever fits your needs. That's cool. Okay, so I'm super interested in that. I think a lot of people would love to hear that. I'm going to put that on the show notes, folks, with a link to that website so that you can sign up for that. I know that, you know, if he's got Pete and Kristen there, you know, Pete and I wrote a book together. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it's called The Teacher's Reflective Impact Journal, Pursuing Greatness Every Day. And um, Pete's just an amazing guy. In fact, he's speaking at my Thrive Conference, not Thrive, I'm doing a conference titled celebrate self-care for educators and it is a day of um it'll it's going to be live in person in november on november the 7th uh-huh. you uh it is for educators and it is strictly based on uh us pouring into and loving on educators the entire day that's all it is it's us loving on them and we've got pete hall and aaron jones aaron jones is going to speak on equity that's you so know, awesome and i think Aaron's might be doing yours, right? No, I don't. Not Aaron Jones. No. Okay. Um, But Pete's going to be there. Aaron Jones is going to be there. Donna Clark Love, Tammy West, Jenny Severson, and myself will all be speaking at that day for um, 
for educators because I felt like you, Todd. I felt like educators need someone to just tell them that they love them and that they're doing they're doing a good job and to respect them and and that's what we were looking for. So we're doing something, but we're doing it in person and it's a one day. And Todd's is is for a whole semester, guys. So you can start in August and do Camp Lead On on mental health. Then you've got another program in September, October, November, and December. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And if, and if you don't want to sign up for all of them, you can pick and choose what you want. So it's kind of like a buffet. And it doesn't matter what your role is in education either. I mean, you're going to get stuff out of this. We've tailored it to be more people in leadership roles. But I always say, if you're in education, you're in a leadership role. So this That's is really exactly for anybody. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. If you're in education, you're a leader. That's all there is to mm-hmm. it. Okay, so last question for you, Todd. What legacy do you want to leave behind? You know, if if I think about what I hope people say about me later or the legacy that I leave, it's that he always led with his heart. Um, And that for me, you know, I, I try to always lead with my heart and doing what I know is what's best for people um, or, or what I feel is. And that can lead to me not always being the most popular person in the room by other leadership um, who are like, no, that's too, too complicated, too expensive, too different. Um, but I've never one who shied away from being different. I've never one who shied away from change and, and, and ripping things out from the way they were and saying, let's do it better. And so what I hope, whether you were a student of mine, whether you were a a staff member of mine, or whether you saw me on social media, that you could see my heart always shine through because I, I just, I love pouring into people and helping them see how incredibly valuable they are, even when they feel like nobody's listening. There you go. All right, folks, you heard it here. That's been, we've been speaking with Todd Lesloni, who is an author, a speaker, a consultant, uh, a trainer. He's got Camp Lead On starting in August of this year, of 2020, uh, that you can sign up for. You can either do the smorgasbord where you get everything, or you can pick and choose different modules that you'd like to do. He also has a, his book, most recent book, When Kids Lead that you can find on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. He's got three or four other books as well that you can find on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or toddnesloni.com. If you're looking for a speaker, somebody that's going to come out, and guys, I got to tell you, when I was listening to his TED talk, he like pulls on your heartstrings. So you get the gamut. I mean, he's a great speaker. You would really, really enjoy having him come and speak to your staff because he's going to make the connection with them. So if you're looking for any of that information, you can contact him through his website, toddnesloni.com, or you can contact him through Twitter, either one. He is um, super, I hear Todd's dogs in the background. That's right. We almost made it without her barking. (laughs) Hey, you know what? That that just shows she's a sweet girl. (laughs) All right, folks, if you um, want to check the show notes, you can check. You, I will post a link for Camp Lead On as well as his website and get in contact with him then. Todd, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. It was fun. Okay, so folks, we will see you next time. Until then. Oh, thank you. <laughs>